Hey, it's Rob and Kennedy. Hello, today on the Email Marketing Show, we're talking about how to audit your email marketing. Ooh, that sounds scary. Now, just before we dig into that, and it's really not that scary, it's actually quite fun and exciting, we've put together something really cool for you, and it's totally free as well. It's a resource called Click Tricks, because we know that you want to make more sales from the emails that you're sending, and that requires more people to click on your links and look at the thing that you're selling. It's the frank truth of it. And so we've put together this resource to give you 12 really creative, interesting, unique, and exciting ways to mix it up a bit in your emails. So that your calls to action don't all look the same click here if you'd like to be bland and so what we've done is we've made it really easy <laughs> and really exciting for you to be able to put together these amazing calls to action if you want to grab that all you have to do i never know if it's calls to action or call to actions call to actions i don't know anyway uh, you can get the resource totally for free just head over to emailmarketingheroes.com forward slash tricks the feedback we've had on this thing is amazing emailmarketingheroes.com slash tricks it's free it's free he owns a dog bed but not a dog it's curious. It's comedy hypnotist Robert Temple. He keeps his ketchup in the cupboard instead of the fridge. It's psychological mind reader Kennedy. Robin Kennedy can get inside your head. So in the corner of a room in your house somewhere, mm-hmm. there's a dog bed. Mm-hmm. No dog. Is that kind of where you get sent when you've been a naughty boy? <laughs> It's actually because we've been toying with the idea of getting a dog for a long time, and Rachel thought if she's slow. Oh, so you're just doing it bit by bit, so you're basically getting the dog back. Then you're like, do you want this tomorrow? I'm going to take a shit in the corner. <laughs> I'm going to just do like bit at a time, feel like a dog. I think Rachel had the, the psychological theory that if I start to buy things for a dog, mm. we've got dog collar, we've got, we've got poo bags. Wow, amazing. Now, I've got to be honest, I don't tend to. I very rarely take ketchup. I would put it on. Take um, ketchup. Have ketchup. Take ketchup. I'm. I'm just. I'm just making it a bit more highbrow because I know our, what our audience are like. Oh yeah, keep it. Keep it. Keep it up. Uh, I don't normally take uh, ketchup of a dinner time. Um, one doesn't take ketchup. One doesn't take ketchup usually, unless I put it on a burger. But that's about it. Anyway, Rachel likes ketchup, and she definitely keeps it in the fridge. And she keeps it in the fridge because the bottle says, "Keep this in the fridge." I know, but I've just, I don't like to have like nice pipe and hot, I don't know, chips or something and go, let's just make it really fucking cold with this sauce. I can see that. Like, I keep my brown yeah, sauce in the cupboard, but I think you're supposed to keep that in the cupboard. I think that's supposed, I think it's like red wine and white wine. Oh, really? <laughs> what about your eggs? Where do you keep your eggs? Eggs, they go in a little basket on the bench, so cupboard effectively. Right, on the bench, but not in the fridge. No, but I keep my potatoes in the cupboard. Oh, I'm a, I'm a potatoes in the in the fridge kind of man. Well, little little round salady potatoes, they go in the fridge, but like big That's, Maris pipers, are you I'm discri- going to make. Are you discriminating between your potatoes? I here? am. Big, big, uh, big potatoes I'm going to make chips out of. They live in the cupboard. I did an Instagram poll about this a while ago. It's really interesting to see on my Instagram. It's really interesting to see how like loads of different people go in different routes with these different things. Very interesting. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, you did. You did fridge or cupboard. I remember this. Fridge or cupboard. cupboard. Yeah. Yes, I remember it. Anyway, hello. We are a stage hypnotist and a psychological mind reader turned email marketing geeks who give course creators, coaches, and membership site owners everything you need to use psychology-driven email marketing to be the email marketing hero of your business. That means you get to make more sales more predictably in less time with a brand new episode every email marketing Wednesday. 
I don't want to harp on about it, but I know that our people are now thinking this. The reason I keep eggs in a basket, by the way, is because I think eggs are really cute and they deserve to be like a little basket. I think eggs all look like they have little their own little person. I I, I realise we need to plough on with the episode, but I realise people can't get this idea of little eggs in a basket from my bench out of their head, so I have to just justify it. Is I I think they've got they all look like they've got their own little personalities and they're like hap- some of them are like happy and mischievous and stuff like that. And I think they deserve to live in a basket <laughs> rather than in the little carton that they come from the shop in. So now we've settled that. What what's wrong with you? <laughs> Honestly, you do you pr- do you have a f- favorite end of an egg? Like I realise I sound of- like I'm going to be the topic of a Channel Four documentary in ten years' time. <laughs> <laughs> this is Robert. He's got, he's got seven friends. With that little plinky plinky music they always play on the yeah, Channel yeah. Four episodes, he's, and that woman. He's got seven friends. One of them is Terry the Egg. <laughs> one of them's one not them- an egg. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you haven't already and you're brand new to the show, hello, welcome. Please hit subscribe on your podcast player. We do release a brand new episode every single Wednesday and we don't want you to uh, to miss out on that. So, Rob, shall we just crack on in the content? Uh, in two seconds, because then it would have been exactly five minutes of wasted time before we do. Right, let's go. There we are. Now we're ready to do this. Okay, so whenever we... You, when we used to do... Consul- consulting so we used to go in and help people with their email marketing we don't do that anymore we don't offer that anymore it's uh we never plan on doing it again but one of the very in fact the first thing we ever did was to find out what's the state of play like how is it actually going how is what you're currently doing going because the truth is if you don't know how it's going you don't know where your biggest opportunity to improve is you know if you need to improve you don't know you might instinctively feel like oh this is where i need to improve but actually there's another area which is broken or it's in a much worse state just because you haven't had it recently in the in the front of your mind so there's a bunch of things that we go through and we look at when we're auditing uh, someone's email marketing and it's a really good thing to do right now at this time of year because you want to be looking at what's working so that I know what to work on next, right? Which campaigns should I be putting in place? Where, where in the business do they fit? Which element of my email market needs fixing? Is it that I'm not getting enough subscribers? Everybody, well, a lot of people tend to think, oh, I just need more email subscribers. The truth is, if the back end of your email system, if your email marketing itself is not converting, it doesn't matter how many people you bring in the front end, you're, you're still showing them an empty room where they can't buy anything because it's not converting, right? So want to make sure that we've got a, a whole bunch of data. The first thing, and it'll sound simple, I want you to write down and just look at is how many subscribers have you currently got? How many are on that list? And for some people, that will be a two-digit number. That'll be for others, that'll be a three, a four, a five, or a six-digit number. It could be a it could be a huge number. It could be a small number. It doesn't that number doesn't matter particularly. But you do need to know how many you've got. One of the things we track month on month on month is how many new subscribers did we bring in? All right? So that's the second bit of data. How many new people, that's subscribers, human beings, are you bringing in each month? Yeah. And that gives you a sort of baseline. And the next bit is to look at, once you know how many you've got and how many you're bringing in, you also want to compare that with how many are unsubscribing in an average month as well. And again, as Kennedy said, we track all of this in a spreadsheet that's like our business dashboard, so to speak. On the first day of every month, we just look at that metric for the month, the previous month. And so that will give you over time a sort of gener- a general sense of list growth. So if you've got 100 people on your list when you start doing this and you bring in an average of 10 a month, but you lose an average of two a month, then on your month two, you can have 108 and you'll be able to like track where that's where that's going to and what, what's good. But again, don't automatically assume 
because we haven't done the rest of the audit yet, don't automatically assume that, well, I'm only bringing in 10 new subscribers a month. If I was bringing in 100 new subscribers a month, that would solve the problem. No, it would, wouldn't necessarily grow your business. It might just mean you're going to end up having a much, a much bigger email subscribership which means you're going to pay more for your email hosting, which means you've actually got a bigger cost yeah. in your business, all right? So you want to make sure that we're getting returns. We'll get into that in a second. So we want to know, like we said, how many have you got, how many are growing, and how many are unsubscribing? And you want to do this as like a percentage month on month on month, right? So are we increasing the percentage of people who are, are joining the list and decreasing the percentage of people who are leaving? All right, next is where are they actually coming from, these new subscribers? What's the main places they're coming from? And write them all down if you've got a... So we've got our at Robin Kennedy Instagram. And if you're not following us on there already, by the way, make sure you do. Um, so we've got Robin Kennedy Instagram. We've got the free Facebook group, the Email Marketing Show community, which I know many of you are already in. So we've got people coming from there. We've got lead magnets. We've got maybe some paid traffic. Whatever you've got going on, your YouTube channel, whatever your podcast, whatever. You want to know from each of those channels how many people are coming in from each of them. So that means you're now going to know which channel they're actually coming from. You're not going to say, well, they're coming from my YouTube, my Instagram, my Twitter, my MySpace, my Bebo. That's not one number. You want to know which numbers are for each channel. So you can actually see the people that are coming to my list. Which of those things are they coming from? It's one of the things we put together a resource, a tool, and a training inside the league. So definitely go and check that out, which is all about knowing specifically which subscribers come, come from specifically which platform, not relying on Facebook ads telling you it was two when it was actually seven, which is what we're going through right now. Not relying on external data that's not accurate, but actually just knowing for a fact that person, that human there, Jeff at jeff.com came from this place and Sheila at sheila.com came from this place. Uh, so definitely go and check out, uh, check out that training if you're in the league. Yeah, definitely do that. So that's the um, that's that that's that bit. You want to know where they're coming from because that means you know what's working, and maybe you're going to do a bit more of that later when you diagnose this. And you might start. This is what we did. We started looking at where are people actually coming from, what's working, what's not working that we're putting time into. So we stopped really using Twitter. I mean, we have one. I think I checked it last week. Uh, you know, like I'm not checking it very often because we realised we're putting time, effort, energy, uh, and stuff into that. But actually, the number of people coming from that into our world and then turning into, into customers was very low based on the strategy we were implementing at the time and the way things were going. That's just the fact. So we stopped doing that and started doing the stuff, more of the stuff that was working, focusing on the Facebook group and Instagram and, of course, some paid traffic as well. The next one. So that, that gives us like a starting core of like the subscribers. Next, really, we're going to look into the economics of all of this. So what's actually happening next? So that, that's like some just some simple numbers and you can't be offended or upset or anything by any of those things. It's just, they're just numbers. Now we're going to look at the economics of it. This is where it gets a bit more emotional because we're going to look at some monies and things. So the first thing we want to look at is how much does it cost to get you a new subscriber? Now, in some cases, that's going to be nothing. So if it's, apart from time, and you have to factor that in truthfully. But if it's, uh, you know, um, I'm getting most of my subscribers from, my instagram i'm putting content on instagram i'm not running ads to it i'm just doing the organic growth thing and then people are coming through they're clicking on the link in my bio and they're joining my list great that's free apart from the time of course if you pay somebody to do your instagram for you you can factor that into it so on average i'm getting 100 subscribers a month from instagram divide that by how much i'm paying my social media person and a bit of my time for doing the work and that's that um 
Whereas if you're running ads and you're paying $8 to acquire a subscriber on average, then it's a very flat, it's a very easy $8. You just look at the number Facebook tells you you're paying or take the number of subscribers you actually got from Facebook and divide. Because that's another problem with that ads tracking thing. Um, of course, if it says you only got eight subscribers and you actually got 800 subscribers because the tracking is out, then obviously the number it says you're paying is actually much lower than the, the it's actually much higher than the, the number you're actually paying or the other way around. So anyway, work out how much is it costing you to get a subscriber and then you also want to work out how long does it take to make that money back on average so the next one is if i'm going to spend eight dollars to acquire a subscriber on average how long does it take me to make that money back so if you're running ads to a, a funnel and people opt in for a lead magnet and it's costing you eight dollars to get a subscriber and then you make some paid offers immediately in that funnel like straight away within a minute of them opting in you could you, you will hopefully be making back some of or all of probably some of uh, in this world probably not all of but some of the money that you're spending so that's great that recoups a bit of that investment how long is it going to take you to make the rest of that money back is the next question that you want to answer because that list growth can't sustainably happen unless you've got loads of investment which i know none of us do or you are you are able to make that money back fairly swiftly with the funnel and email yeah, I mean, basically that lets you know, if you know how quickly you can make it back, you know how you can cash flow it. So for example, if you know that it takes me th 14 days to get that, let's just keep with the $8 example, back, that good, that's good. Because most of the time, what you could do, worst case scenario, I'm not recommending this, but if you wanted to, and you wanted to up your ad budget, you could get a credit card, put the ads on your credit card, and that would give you a 30-day period to pay that off because you know for sure, and that's what this is about, knowing for sure that you, you're going to get that money back within 14, giving you plenty of time to pay the credit card off. Obviously, don't go bonkers with it. This is not financial advice. Because what we want to really remember as we're going through this episode is, there's a myth that marketing is the pretty pictures department. And I'm going to break this, the news to you today that marketing is actually a numbers department. We have to stop. We absolutely have to stop making decisions based on anything other than the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Unless you calculate the numbers wrong. You have to do a good job at that. But the numbers don't lie. Like Rob's hips, they don't lie either. The your gut will lie because your perception of what you're paying attention to is is squiffy, is skewed, right? So how long does it take you to make your money back on average? And then the next metric we're going to look at is how much do you earn on average per subscriber in the first 14 days, 30 days, and 60 days? So... Look at how many subscribers you brought in. How much did you earn in the first 14 days for each of them? What's the average? for 30, In the first 30 days, what's the average? And what's the 60 days average? What this tells you is, okay, I can afford to spend this amount to acquire a subscriber. So if you're happy to go negative, to go out of pocket for just two weeks, for 14 days, okay, on average, how much do you earn per subscriber in the first 14 days? Well, I earn... $27 per subscriber. Cool. Guess what? I can spend up to $27 to bring in a new subscriber. As long as in the next 30, 60, and 90 days, I can then move that subscriber into being profitable. And that's really the important bit. On the front 14 to 30 days, we're looking at like breaking even or just eking into profit. But if you don't know those numbers, you are absolute and you're running ads, you are doing it 
blindly. You are waiting to just lose money. So you need to know that number. You need to figure out in your system with third-party systems, which is what we've had to do and many people have to do, third-party system, plugging it in to figure out these numbers or run it manually once a month. Yeah. So that's the that's the next number. How much are they worth? 14, 30, and 60 days. You need to know that number. Now, one of the reasons why we have those numbers, 14, 30, and 60, is that generally speaking, what we are looking to do is within the first 30 to 60 days, like a maximum of 60 days, we want to use automated campaigns in our email engine, which we've talked about lots on the podcast and in the league and other places, to turn those to maximize the value and get our money back on those subscribers going forward after that 60 days when somebody has come out of our email engine and they're now receiving our day-to-day emails we now look at a slightly different metric we now look at what is our epspm something again we've talked about a lot on the podcast it stands for earning per subscriber per month so we don't really factor the people who are in the engine in this number what we we factor the people who have just joined our list in the last 60 days and are going through automated campaigns what we care about with that is how much do we earn per subscriber in that period right just from that thing and then in our general ruling uh, earning per subscriber per month we're looking for this this month had 30 days in it we send 30 emails because we send an email every day from those emails how much money did we make that's our earning per subscriber per month uh, so after that 60 days that's the number that we're really interested in and what that tells you again is is there more opportunity here is there something we should be doing to our live list to make more from our actual live list are we making enough offers are we showing up with the right type of stuff do we need more products or or other people's products there's so many opportunities you can unlock by looking at that number so next the next number the next metric is to the next bunch are really to do with your product and when people actually make a purchase okay the two numbers um that we want you to look at here are what is the highest possible order value? When somebody buys something from you and they put that thing in the cart or they click checkout, is, that, is there anything else that they could buy? Is there a little checkbox on the shopping cart called a bump offer where they can add something else into the cart? Is there an upsell on the next page that allows them to invest even more? I mean, is there another one? Is there a downsell? Like in that one session while they're live at their computer at that time or on their phone at that time, What's the highest amount they could possibly spend? And if you're, for example, if you're selling a book for $7, and that's what you've written, you've written a book, and you're selling it for $7, that's what you're comfortable with. If the only thing they can buy when they go and buy that book is that $7 book and there's nothing else, there's no upsell to get the audio version or the workbook to go with it or the course that supports it or some coaching or whatever, if the only thing they can buy is that $7 thing, the maximum they can spend is $7. And that's a real disadvantage you're putting yourself at. Whereas if you add other possible things that they could buy, some people will. And you can dial in the conversions of those things and that's another conversation. But how maximize how much they could spend. And then compare that with across the people who are buying from that, what is the average order value they are spending? So yes, the possible the possible highest amount they could spend of the whole thing might be $1,000 by the time they add this thing in, they customize that and they add that thing in. They could spend up to $1,000. But if 100 people go through it, 
How much do they spend? How, so one person might have bought everything. Somebody else might have, might have only bought the front thing and somebody else might have bought the first thing and the second thing. Divide how much in total those people spent and divide it by the number of people, 100 people. And now you know the average order value on average how much are they spending. So give you an example. Uh, so we have a funnel where on the front end we sell uh, our bottomless email strategy. So that is $39. Lovely. If that's all it was, the maximum somebody could spend would be $39, which means the maximum that we could pay to get somebody to buy that in an ad, for example, would be $39, which seems okay. But actually, the cost of getting somebody to buy something is much more than $39. So on average, when somebody goes through that, across everybody who's buying, the average that somebody spends is at lowest $88 up to something like 111 something like that. So on average, that's how much they're spending, which means we now know more informed information so that we can spend advertising budget much more accurately without putting ourselves at risk. So highest order value and the average order value. And with all of that, you also want to look and see, have I actually proven the offer that I sell? In other words, not the product, but the way that it's packaged and positioned, priced and set up and the sales mechanism. So a sales page, a sales video, a webinar, a call, uh, the email sequences that go with it. Have I proven those to actually work so that when I know that I've run traffic into this thing or send an email to this campaign, it's going to perform? Or is that something you're still collecting data on? And it, obviously we're always all collecting data because stuff can shift that suddenly means something that's working one day won't the next. But um, are, you, are you happy that at the moment it's working and you've got that data and you know it for a fact? And if you aren't, then you need to be. And if you are, then you need to make sure that you're factoring that in as well so i know that right now and of course the the uh, the conversion rate of those of those mechanisms will relate to the highest part to the average order value as well the bit that will close the gap between the average order value and the highest possible order value is how well the thing converts so like if, if at the moment your your highest possible order value is a thousand dollars but your average order value is 10 dollars that means that your conversion mechanism mechanism currently isn't working because people might be buying you a ten dollar thing and then none of the upsells uh, so you need to you need to work on that yeah the next question we always want to know is when was the last time you actually emailed your list and it might have been yesterday right uh, but it might have been a week ago it might have been a month ago it might have been six months ago it might sometimes have been never because I didn't, for various reasons, I was afraid to, I didn't know what to, uh, I've just I've just inherited the list, whatever it's going to be. Just need to know, when was the last time you emailed that list, right? And on top of that, you also want to know how often are you emailing your subscribers? Because they might have emailed just yesterday, but before that, it had been a month. And before that, it was another month. So how often are we emailing our subscribers? And the reason I want to know those two bits of information is we're trying to figure out what is the reputation of your emails when google and gmail and ymail and all that lot receive an email sent by you what does it think of it does it go oh this is a person who emails regularly and they keep in touch and people like them in that case let's put them in the primary inbox or is it like Ooh, i haven't heard much from this person we'll have to be a little bit a little bit careful we'll just put them there we'll just watch for a bit and see what happens are you causing google and others to be cautious or are you getting them to promote you into that primary inbox the next thing that we want to look at with all of this is um 
how often do you actually make an offer to buy something? So some people will email their list quite a lot, but they'll just be giving tons of free value and loads of stuff that they think people will be interested and love them for and build reciprocity and all this other stuff that we've heard about in marketing theory. But actually, if you're not making offers, if you're not making offers very often, then of course people don't have the opportunity to buy from you. I think it's probably a myth. When I say this, it's going to sound really obvious, but I think in reality, people don't live by this. I think a lot of us send emails a lot of people send emails and they think right i mentioned that product now so when people are ready for it they'll go and hunt it out and they'll buy it but actually they won't what they'll do is they'll forget that it exists how many times have you been at something with your business or whatever and somebody will come up to you and say um oh i've been trying to find somebody who could you know um fit this new light fitting in my house like an electrician or something and you're sat there going i'm a handyman i do that that's what that's the thing that's that's one of the things i do Sure, I can fix your sink and do all the rest of it, but I can also fit a light fit as well. I think people just naturally forget that they know somebody who does a lot of the things that they need. How often do you sit and rack your brains going, hey, don't, I must know somebody who can do this thing. And of course, there's somebody really obviously just overlooking. So I think if you're not making offers and constantly reminding people of specifically what it is that you do, then they can't buy it. But also, if you're not dressing the thing that you sell up in lots of different ways, the one product you sell with lots of different offers, then of course, you aren't making, you aren't making it appealing to lots of different people in lots of different ways. It's not just about making offers to your email list, right? We've got to ask the other question, which is how often are you making offers to the people who've already bought from you? Customers, if you've got any kind of subscription service to people who are already paying you a subscription, like your members of your membership. I know, like those people have already proven that they value the topic that you teach or the topic or the, the thing that you do and supply and they value it from you specifically so much that they have paid you for that information, for that thing. So go back to those people. They are your best customers. Yes, you can resell more stuff to your members, to your subs- to the people who have already be- been customers. So how often are you making offers to customers and to members, not just the subscribers who have not purchased yet? We all obsess over trying to sell to the people who have not purchased yet. That's a bit like, and Rob, Rob and I experience this a lot, as, as when you're doing co- comedy, any comedians, anything like that, entertainment, we, well, be on stage, we'll be doing a bunch of comedic stuff is a bunch of funny stuff and there'll be one miserable bastard somewhere in the audience sat there with his arms folded with a face like a smacked ass and all you can do all the way through the show is focus on trying to make him laugh and that's the wrong thing to do because he's already the miserable person he is a miserable person he doesn't want to be there he's been dragged along there by somebody else please everybody else in the room okay so don't forget that making the first sale to subscribers is the hardest piece of the puzzle that's why we have so many campaigns in the league that help you do that using lots of psychological angles and it really does all that heavy lifting for you because it is hard to make the first sale to a subscriber but once you've got somebody make the first purchase selling to them again as long as your products are awesome and they like them is so much more easy it's so easy so always be focusing on selling more stuff to your customers to your members it's something we've definitely overlooked i think we could always be doing a better job of and more of and we're constantly thinking about it but not doing it enough so 
We're all in the same boat with that, but how often are you making those offers? Let's quickly regroup what we've got so far. So we've got a bunch of questions that are all to do with the subscribers that we've got in terms of the volume, where they're coming from, that stuff. We've got a bunch of questions that are all to do with the economics of it. So how much does it cost me to acquire? How much money do I make back? How fast can I re recoup my investment on that thing? Or am I just hoping for the getting them now and hoping to make money from them later, which is never a good idea. Then it's about how often are you emailing? How many offers are you making? What's your max potential to get the offers that we know are proven in front of the people that we want to buy them so this is all coming together and the final bit really is how how many people are engaging with your emails in a 14 30 and 60 day period do those do those numbers sound familiar because that's all to do with your engagement and everything that's going on so how many people in in, a, in any 14 day 30 day or 60 day period of emails are actually engaging with your emails things like if it's too low one of the quick fixes for that is to email more often uh, we can go into that in a different episode but just emailing more often automatically boosts your engagement and then what are you doing with the people who do disengage? Are you going to take them and run them into a revival campaign like our LOL revival campaign that says, hello, are you still alive? Are you still interested? Um, you know, can you stand up and be counted and be part of this? Uh, are you going to delete them? Are you going to, like, what's the process you're going to do for those people? Because again, this is really important that you keep your deliverability and engagement high. The vast majority of what makes emails deliverable is your is your engagement with your list and making sure that you're getting people to actually take part and be noticed. And so that's the last final section is what, how many people are engaging and when they do disengage in that 60 day period, what are you then doing with them? These are a bunch of questions that we ask when we're working, when we used to work with coaching clients and when we work with our agency clients now, where we write your emails for you. Because some people don't have the time to sit and write these amazing email campaigns that they know need to be sent out. And also, if you want like a, a skilled professional writer to write emails from scratch for your business, where they're not like templates and cookie cutter and just like copy and paste into your business, and you haven't got the time to customize these things yourself, then we do that for, for clients. And these are the questions that we ask to begin with to see what is the starting point from which we're doing this work. In fact, if you're thinking, actually, that's me, I'd really like to speak to somebody about about writing my emails for me. I'd really love somebody to send me a Google Doc of them having written my sales campaigns that turn subscribers into customers and customers into repeat customers done for me without me having to do the work. If you would like a pro to do that and have a chat about it, if you go to emailmarketingheroes.com slash agency, emailmarketingheroes.com slash agency, you'll be able to take a look at what we offer as an email writing agency and even be able to click and apply to work with us and see if we are a fit for you. So that's uh, this week's episode. Apart from you'll definitely want to know what is this week's... Subject line of the week. Subject line of the week. Rob, what have you got? This one is, my first is in goldfish, as if it was like a riddle. My first is in goldfish, but right. not in sausage. Uh, that. Um, and basically, uh, the, the hook of this, again, as we've talked about recently, is to do with taking a sort of a standard thing that people are used to so like kennedy has a little joke with this probably where it came from about you know if something sounds complicated or like a riddle then he'll say my first is in blancmange but not in some snowflake um and so that's where it came <laughs> from it's taking something that people recognize and then using it in an interesting way i also added an emoji of a fish i don't think there is a goldfish emoji but it was just an emoji of a, of a, of a generic fish just to make it pop a little mm -hmm. bit more in the raft of subject lines i've noticed a decline in the number of people using subject lines lately which means that when you do use them they'll stand out more often just scanning over my subject own. line you mean you mean emojis, what right? What did I say? 
subject lines. Oh, I've, yeah, I've seen... No, nobody's using subject lines anymore. <laughs> They're just getting straight I've into seen it. a decline of people using emojis in subject lines lately. If I scan over the emails I receive on a daily basis, generally speaking, I'm seeing less of them, which means if you start doing them at the minute, that's going to stand out more and all of that. It's worth paying attention to that stuff. So that's it. My first is in Goldfish. Subject line of the week. Subject line of the week. Another episode, another email marketing Wednesday coming to a, a close uh, for us this week here. We're back next week, but if you haven't already, make sure you hit the subscribe button on your podcast player so you don't miss out on next week's episode. Thanks again for listening. See you then.